Thanks for allowing me to, to be here. I'm honored. I really am. Um, I had something funny I was going to say about James, but since he talked for 15 minutes, I'll go ahead and get to my, my sermon. Um, uh, I'm honored and humbled to stand before you today, uh, again, to deliver a message from God's Word to his people, uh, and I'm still learning how to use these glasses, so just get over it if it's weird. Um, some might say I've preached enough now that I need to come up with some new opening material. Uh, I'm sure at some point I will, but for now I'm reminded that I've said what I'm about to say uh, because it's on my heart. Um, it's central to my life, it's what God has planted deep inside of me for some reason. And that is, it's the realization that there is no more important entity on the planet than Jesus' bride, the church. Uh, in the context of life now and all eternity, the church is more important than the United States Senate. It's more impactful and more vital um, to the people of the world than the United Nations will ever be. And it's more influential than Apple, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon combined. There simply is no more vital entity on the planet than the church of Jesus Christ. I was raised in the church, uh, but until about 15 years ago, I had no real grasp or appreciation for its significance. Uh, over the last decade in particular, God has done some significant things in my heart and opened my eyes to this beauty. And he's caused me to fall in love specifically with the local church. Uh, I used to dread going to church. I used to look for reasons not to go. Now I look for reasons to go. Um, and that's not me. Um, I have a particular love for our church here at Christ Point. I happen to believe that there's no better place to meet and grow close to Jesus than right here. Uh, I love the people of Christ Point. Each of you regularly makes me want to follow Jesus more. Um, makes me want to die to myself more. It makes me want to prepare more to play my part in shepherding all of us towards Jesus. As those of you who, have, uh, who attend regularly here at Christ Point, you know that we exist for one reason, and that's to point people to Jesus, right? That's our DNA. That's our heartbeat. One of our core four objectives is to encounter the life-transforming Word of God. So each Sunday, we open God's Word to hear and to learn what he has for us. And today we'll continue our study of 1 John. Of course, the Bible is inspired, um, and human authors are not. But as James mentioned, uh, we can all learn from the wisdom that God has granted to others. In my own study of 1 John, I've been encouraged by the likes of Daniel Aiken and John Piper and Chuck Swindoll. So I want to give credit where credit's due. I'm grateful this morning that I can lean into their wisdom because they all have a unique voice. Have you ever had a situation where you believe the wrong thing? Have you ever had a situation where you thought something was one way, only to realize through your own discovery or someone else informing you that you were simply wrong? I have. In fact, I realize it happens more often uh, than I'd like to admit. In fact, it happens pretty, pretty regularly. Because anytime I get dressed to go out in public, I put on clothes that I think match pretty well. I think I'm pretty good at it. 
I usually then go downstairs comfortable with my choice. Um, sometimes I even kind of have kind of looked at myself and said, Billy, you're kind of dialed in today. You look good. Um, and then I ask Anne Marie for her opinion because every wise husband asks his wife, hey, do I look okay to go out in public? And I'm fully expecting her to go, you know what, honey? You are a stud. You look so good. That's what I'm expecting, but often, sometimes she says that, but a lot of times she simply informs me that what I have on doesn't go together. It just doesn't match. Uh, it could be any assortment of mess-ups. Uh, the shoes don't go with what I'm wearing. The shirt needs pressing. The, sh the pants and shirt combination just, just aren't, they, they just don't go together. And I'm usually kind of crushed. Um, and what's funny is it's kind of like Groundhog Day. It, it happens pretty often. Uh, every time I get, I, I, I go downstairs and she tells me this, it's like I'm crushed for the first time. And it's like it's never happened. I live with this perpetual belief that I'm good at matching. And she regularly reminds me that that's not really the case. And so I mention this to make a point that ultimately what we believe really matters. Now this is a lighthearted um, example, but it illustrates that we need to test what we believe. What we as a church believe, what we as God's people believe, impacts everything in our lives. This is what we'll be covering today in, in our text in John. So today we're going to cover 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and we'll read through these um, here now. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Um, Father, um, we pause to ask you to open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you have for us in your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. So in, uh, in, in 1 John, we see two main themes. First, we see the theme that Jesus is light and calls us to love each other well. The second theme is about how the Spirit produces in us faith, how he, how he directs what we believe. Back in 1 John, we, we read in chapter 3.23 what's been called a grand summary of the entire Bible. And this is what uh, verse 23 says. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. And then in verse 24, it says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. So most of 1 John until now has covered how the Spirit produces in us the humble heart of love. Again, only God can produce this in us. It's his work in us and his work through us. Now in chapter 4, we'll begin to cover how the Spirit causes us to believe. 
So a fair question to ask is, why does this matter? Why is understanding how the Spirit causes us to believe important for us? The reason it matters is because our lives and our eternity hang on what we believe. More important, who we believe. So what we read in, the, in this text, in 1 John 4, 1 through 6, it tells us is vitally important to us. I think there are four key points in these verses that i like us to quickly go through. They're short, they're simple, but they're powerful. Point number one is follow Jesus. And that's simple enough, but it's powerful. Follow Jesus. Verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John again begins with a word of affection. He calls him Beloved. He, he cares deeply for these brothers and sisters in Christ. He desperately wants them to understand that not every spiritual teacher is a credible teacher. He's instructing them to not believe and to test. These are imperatives that call for continuous action and vigilance. What's important or what's interesting is that these words, again, don't, to, to test and to not believe, are actually in the plural. So John is, in, is saying that this is a church-wide responsibility. We are all to be spiritual detectives to be sure we follow Jesus and nobody else. We are all to have a healthy discernment of biblical truth compared to worldly garbage. In other words, don't believe everything you hear. Aiken stresses that John's point is straightforward. Behind every proclamation, behind every good word is a source. And this source is not always God. And this is a warning. John is calling us as a church to watch and to listen and to test as we follow Jesus only. We need to have a healthy dose of skepticism in these times. Note that John um, says these false prophets are in the world. They're everywhere. They have an assignment from the devil himself. And it's clear here that John is not just talking about people who are guilty of theological error. These aren't people that are just have misunderstood certain points and been taken off the path and need to be corrected. He's saying they're guilty of theological heresy. It's intentional. Their goal is to change who and what we follow. It's demonic because it's intentional. The false prophets of John's time were not new. They've been around since the fall. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, we read these instructions to the Israelites. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. And you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Sounds like a just punishment. I find this fascinating. This text just it, it blows me away because it appears that a dreamer can come along, can give a sign... And even that sign will come to pass. So the snake oil this guy is selling actually works. And God allows this. 
Why? Well, the second part of verse 3 says, it, it tells us, For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. God tests us to know if we love Him with all our heart and will follow Him alone. This is a heart issue. The Spirit causing me to believe rightly in discerning a false prophet is about my heart. And so it is with you also. Our submission to God completely through Jesus in following Jesus is what he's after in allowing the false prophet to come on the scene in the first place. This is staggering. Again, we read in in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Then in verse 22 it says, you need not be afraid of him. See, it seems there's a tendency for many people, both then and now, to ascribe any unusual phenomenon to God. And this is really dangerous. Such a lack of discernment opens the door for false teaching. It provides an opportunity for demonic activity to invade the church. So we're called and we have to remember that not all spiritual activity is godly activity. In this instruction to the Israelites back in Deuteronomy and also in John's instruction to the church in our passage, we are to watch and to wait, we're to listen, and we're to evaluate any message and messenger by God's word. And we are to follow Jesus alone. So have a healthy skepticism. Remember, the enemy is crafty. He's trying to fool us. It's his point. It's his goal. He's trying to deceive us and distract us if he can. So again, point one is vital. We're to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. Point two is we confess Jesus. Verses two and three say, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and and now is in the world already. And this raises a question in my mind regarding verse 2. Can't someone confess that Jesus is God and not really mean it? Is that possible? It certainly seems possible. John Piper quotes in this, regarding this particular topic. We know there are people who can say true things about Jesus who are not in fact born of God or indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If we paid him enough, we could call someone off the street and get him to make any confession we wanted here in front of the whole church. And it would be no evidence at all of his belonging to God. Not, and Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew seven twenty one. In other words, merely saying the right things about Jesus is no sign that the, of the Holy Spirit's presence. So this leads us to the question, what does John mean by the word confess? Back in 1 John 1, 9, John said, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. So John has to mean more than just quoting or saying something. When we tell our son or daughter, Hey, you need to apologize to your brother. And they go, sorry. I don't think that's really what he's talking about. Because that's really not what God wants, right? So one of my weaknesses... As I've shared among the many, and I've shared this before, is my impatience. 
kind of ready for this sermon to be over already. I'm teasing. Uh, I have periods where it seems I'm growing to be more patient. I really do. I'm praying and I'm working towards this most of the time. But then I have periods where it seems like I'm making no progress at all. And these really get me down. Impatience shows up usually when I'm rushed, which is a lot of times, uh, or when I think I'm doing something pretty important, which is a lot of the time. Uh, and it manifests itself with kind of a brush off or a short quip, usually to somebody I love. That's the benefit of being somebody that I love, is you get, you get the quip or the brush off. So it's usually to somebody like Anne Marie or Ava or Gavin, so maybe somebody on my staff or, or a friend. And usually I know it as soon as it happens. I'm aware of it. I feel guilty and I'm convicted. And I typically apologize. I'm usually pretty good about that. I confess it to the other person. So let's say Anne Marie, for instance. And I mention her because she is so gracious to me. She forgives me over and over and over and over. But sometimes she'll stop and she'll say, hey, hey, Billy, um, are you really sorry? You really mean it? I mean, it's the 47th time you've done it. Yes, I know we're supposed to forgive 70 times 7. I get that. But I'm just wondering if you're just saying it or if you really mean it. And that hurts, but that's obviously, that's, that's a legitimate question. And so I have to deal with that. I can truthfully say as I stand here that yes, I mean it. Almost always. And I long to change from the inside out. I really do. From the heart to my brain, or from my heart to my brain, to my outward expressions. And I share this illustration uh, that, to just kind of mention that what John means by confess is that it isn't just about saying words out loud. It's about heartfelt conviction and submission. This is about, again, our heart position. What John is talking about in this text is that how we or anyone else handles the truth that deity and humanity came together perfectly in Jesus Christ, God's only Son. True confession in this context is committed to and submits to this truth completely. And this is proven in deeds, not just in words. It's proven consistently over time, not just on Sundays. And with this commitment and submission also comes biblical humility. It's important to understand that all of this, biblical confession, submission, and humility, are actually gifts from God. Think about that. And this blows me away. Even our repentance, even our confession of Jesus as Lord's are gifts from our Lord. We cannot generate these on our own. We cannot white-knuckle or discipline ourselves to biblical confession because it flows from the heart. In contrast, verse 3 is the exact opposite of verse 2. Those who deny the incarnation of the Son of God, one, are not of God, and two, are actually of the Antichrist. You're either with Him or you're against Him. Antichrist means against Christ. John says you know He's come and that He, in the form of His spirits and demons, is already here. So the early church battled the same issues we battle today. People with Antichrist loyalties trying to wedge their way in with a false gospel and a different take on who Jesus was and who Jesus is. 
Howard Marshall was quoted, and I love this quote about this, what one thinks about Jesus has enormous consequences. In a real sense, it determines everything. Tell me what you think about Jesus, and I will tell you 95% of the rest of your theology. So to be in the body of Christ, we need to confess, and we have to confess with the disciples back in Matthew 16, 16, where they said to Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And this leads to point three, which is trust Jesus. Point one is follow Jesus. Point two is confess Jesus. Point three is trust Jesus. Verse four says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Man, this is good news. This reveals what some have called a divine irony. And I love this. Which is that the opposition of all false prophets, the confusion brought on by this world's human systems, and even the pain and enslavement of our own sin, are all destined to fail. Why? Because he who is in you, he who is in me, and he who is in us, is greater than he who is in the world. We have an all-powerful Father who is holding us in the palm of His hand. And because of this, we already have overcome these enemies. And this is awesome news. We can trust Jesus through the Holy Spirit to carry us all the way. I love it when the Bible is talking about God's sheep, referring to you and me, and uses soothing words like little children. It reminds me back in Luke uh, 12, 32, when Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. These are comforting words, reminding us once again, once again, that God knows our weak condition. He knows our total dependence on Him for everything. For our breath, for our lives, for any sustenance, we rely on Him. Daniel Aiken makes an interesting point about this verse in our text. He says the phrase, you are from God, actually precedes the warm affirmation, little children. It's fronted for emphasis and to add intensity. So it's really like saying, you yourselves and no one else are of God, little children. And you have conquered them. And by them, he means the world and the spirit of Antichrist. You have conquered them in an abiding and settled fashion. So it's settled. We win. And this, my brothers and sisters, again, is really good news. How do we win? We win through the Holy Spirit in us. We have a supernaturally given assurance that we're fighting a battle where the victory is ours for the taking. But again, we cannot take credit for our discerning ear and for our confessing heart and for our correct view of Jesus. We have to give credit to God. It's all Him. And when we're threatened by the evil one, as a church or individually, we are to remember that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. The God of the universe abides in you and abides in me through his spirit. We are to trust him and we're to listen to him. And this brings me to my final point, point four, which is listen to Jesus. We're to listen. Verses five and six say, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. <laughs> we are from God. 
Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Chuck Swindoll makes a powerful observation regarding this text. We're seeing in the the deliberate dumbing down of historic Christianity into a silly caricature of the true faith to keep people coming back to church. Such pastors and teachers today have all the marks of people who are from the world. They speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. Swindoll goes on to say that John's warning is not just theoretical. He is addressing an immediate crisis in his own day, and one that has only grown broader and deeper through the centuries. Who we listen to really matters. Who we surround ourselves with impacts us far more than we understand. We all have a worldview. Everybody in here has a worldview. And this worldview is shaped significantly by those we trust to speak into our lives. So I'll ask you, who are you listening to? Who are you allowing to influence you? Who are you allowing to speak into your life? In verse 5, John says that those with the spirit of Antichrist are from the world and therefore they speak as from the world. And guess what? The world listens. They have credibility in the world. They're the wise ones in the world's eyes because the world can't help it. They can't help but listen to those who speak their own language. Verse 6 paints an entirely different picture. Those who know God listen to those who were with God while he walked on the earth. They listen to those that Jesus commissioned. Those who know God stick with the words of the apostles and the prophets. And they refuse to compromise on this at all. Back in John 8.47, not 1 John, but John, the book of John 8.47, Jesus says, The one who is from God listens to God's words. Period. All of life flows from this. There is nothing else. You may have heard the phrase that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Well, there is no real, there is no Jesus plus theology. And there is no Jesus minus theology. There's just Jesus equals everything. And this is why we at Christ Point point people to Jesus and not to James. We point people to Jesus and not the famous author of the day. And this is how you can, without hesitation, tell the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Which brings us to an important question. How in the world can you listen to apostles when they've been dead for 2,000 years? I love the answer provided by Pastor Thabiti in Washington, D.C. He says, we listen to the apostles through a certain kind of preaching. The preaching that takes the apostles' words, explains their words, and applies their words is the kind of preaching that enables us to listen to the apostles today. We call this expositional preaching because it exposes what the apostles have written and the meaning and application of their words. 
When you listen to the Word of God expositionally preached, you are listening to the apostles. And ultimately, you're listening to God Himself. And this is the type of preaching we do most often here at Christ Point. And this is why. It points us directly to Jesus. It's the most direct path to our Savior. In closing, um, it's clear in reading this that John is reminding the church that we're at war. There's a war raging for the hearts and the minds and the souls of every human being alive today. We may not see it in our physical world, which I believe is God's grace, not allowing us to see something we might not be able to handle. But it's there, and it's intensifying. And there are eternal consequences. We're called, as, a, as believers, to have a wartime mindset. We're called to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We're called to follow Jesus and test the spirits. We're called to confess Jesus as Lord. And we're called to trust Jesus to do in us what He promised through His Holy Spirit. And then we're also called to listen to Jesus by staying connected to His Word. This is our hope and this is our strength. And this is also our safety. This is our ultimate victory because we win. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your living and active word. Thank you for putting your spirit in us that moves and keeps and protects us. Continue to change us. Continue to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And give us the courage to do what your word instructs us to do. We love you and we pray these things in the name of our Jesus, our Lord. Amen.